So we really do have this immortality to us. And the currency of our immortality is not our status in this world. It's the good that we do in this world. So I think a lot of the secret to not complaining and a lot of the secret to um, weathering failure is understanding essentially who am I, what am I, and what is this life in this world for? And if I understand that the long-term macro plan is that really this world is just essentially to do good things in, and that that will be my eternal legacy is living within the reward of the good that I do in this world, well, I don't need to have a job to smile at someone, and I don't need to have a job to call someone who's sick or, or something like that. I mean, there's so much good that you can do independent of anything, quote unquote, professional. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that when we look back on our life in this world, that is the only thing that's really going to be relevant. person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Hey, it's Barbara Heller. Welcome back to See One Beautiful Soul. Today, my guest is one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. He is a mentor of mine. He is a Golden Globe and Emmy award-winning TV writer, Harvard grad, and former president of the Harvard Lampoon. If you're an aspiring writer, you should definitely know about that. Look that up. Amazing husband and father and community member. I've had the pleasure of knowing him for almost two decades. He actually was involved in helping me get one of my very first paid acting jobs in Hollywood. He has a way of taking very deep wisdom and bringing it down and sharing it with regular folk in the most beautiful, inspiring way. If you'd like to hear more from this genius of a man, you can find his work at livingwithgod.org. He has a wonderful podcast. You can also find their Facebook page at Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World on Facebook. And you can just look up Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World on anywhere that you find podcasts. I'm so happy and excited and enlightened to have him here today. He's just absolutely wonderful. And you'll see why when you start to hear what he has to say. If you haven't picked up a copy of my book, And Then One Day the World Coughed, children's book for adults and families to read together, seated on a couch or outdoors, but definitely to share ideas and insights about, please go ahead and pick up a copy either in a soft cover that can be delivered to your door, or you can get it in the Kindle version on amazon.com. And if you'd still like to give to our campaign at GoFundMe, please go to our Facebook page, c1beautifulsoul.com and just click on the GoFundMe page and please donate a dollar, 50 cents, $5, $500, whatever you can spare. We so appreciate any and every donation. I also have a couple of new classes coming up this month in January, 2021. One is called Speak Your Magic and it is about getting in front of the camera, whether it's on Zoom or for an actual television show or a movie and how to present your TED talk, your life story, your one person show, your most important ideas that the world needs to hear about. You have a responsibility to share it if you hear that little voice calling you to do so. I'll also be offering another cohort of Find Your Creative Clarity with me on Zoom each week with a small intimate group of like-minded souls where we dive in and figure out what is the creative stuff that gets your soul 
going and glowing. And if you want to learn new techniques in the world of voiceover, you can contact me at info at barbheller.com. Depending on my availability, I may be able to give you a coaching as well as give you access to a course that I created that is online for you at any time to learn the art of voiceover. And now without further ado, here is the wonder-filled, awe-inspiring David Sachs. Hello. Welcome, David Sachs, to See One Beautiful Soul. I'm so excited. Are you at a trailer park? <laughs> no, this is, I was at a wedding a number of months ago in Buenos Aires, and they had a couple of food trucks there, and I put it up once, and now it comes up automatically whenever I do a Zoom chat, so... I love it because you're so not a trailer park type of person. <laughs> so those are food trucks, yeah. But it feels like a trailer park. I get it. I mean, you're cool like that. Like I could see you going to a cool food truck, but it's just <laughs> so Manhattan and it's like you're sitting in a field right now. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of Central Park. Also, we're so not outdoors these days, although you are, I guess. So I am like right now. Yeah, yeah, I know. I went into the Central Park every single day during COVID when I was in New York. I was supposed to be in my apartment all day, every day. One of the four schools I was working at was shut down and it was terrifying. Just the thought of being kept up in this tiny shoebox. I prayed hard and I just, I would run outside every day for a few minutes because I yeah, had when, to. When growing up, I used to like Central Park was my thing, you know, I loved it. I mean, that was just my refuge. What's your favorite part of Central Park? Uh, I would usually go to Sheep's Meadow. Mm. Yeah. At yeah. all hours, by the way, I, I would venture in there at night and just, it was crazy. That was back in the day, I guess, when it was open at night. I think it's always was- open to anyone who wants to be murdered. you don't strike me as someone who wants that though you know that was the that was the interesting part you know that's what made it exciting (laughs) and and on that note um we're just gonna dive in here so this podcast is about three things it's about failure forgiveness and freedom okay three great things Three great things that i love to talk about i was sitting back and you know my sister's like a giant podcaster and She's like, well, what, if you did have a podcast, what would, what would you want to talk about? I'm like, I guess the three things that fascinate me, there's another F, I'm really into alliteration, you know, are those three things. And I really was thinking this morning, I'm like, I honestly, other than probably Jim Henson, who I never had the privilege of meeting, I've met his family, but... I met Jim Henson. I can't imagine anyone else on the planet besides him and you that are like the most positive people I've ever been around. I I just can't. I don't think, and I've known you now 17 years. Can you believe that? You don't age. I don't know. Maybe I have, but I've known you 17 years. I'm so lucky to know you. It feels like a blink. It feels like a blink. And you have never complained to me. Not one time about anything. Can I tell you the secret? Yes, please. The secret is, and it took me, by the way, a long time to to figure this out because, you know, we're sort of living in an era of big data. And so there's so much information coming at us. And by the way, a lot of fantastic information. And so, but distilling and prioritizing is very difficult to do, especially with Torah and Judaism, because Judaism, as you can imagine, has literally thousands of years of genius ideas and so like where do you start and then you go well that one's good and that one's good and that one's good that one's good but now how do you integrate them and prioritize them in a coherent way 
And then what if you could like distill it down even further where you could just like pick one thing, make that's your one umbrella principle. And then everything will be sort of like arranged underneath that. What would you say is your umbrella? So what I realized was, you know, a lot of people talk about, say, belief, and there is tremendous benefit from belief, tremendous. But what I came to realize was that there are a lot of people who believe in God. They even believe that God gave us the Torah. They they believe in all these things, but they don't understand the goodness of God. So if you believe in God, and you can believe with all of your heart in God, but you don't believe that everything that comes from God is good, you essentially are believing in this like all-powerful dictator. And so what I realized was the number one thing was, for me anyway, was to attach myself to the notion that God is good. Because if God is good, then everything that's coming your way is good. Now, there are different types of good. There's the good that you can readily absorb, and there's the good that baffles you and might even, God forbid, cause suffering. Mm. But it's no less good. You don't have the vessels to receive it in the moment. So so the thing is, is that if a person has that core belief that God is good, then whatever comes their way is good. It's either good in the moment or they don't understand the good, but they are either repairing something from the past or being prepared for something good in the future or whatever it is. And so they're only dealing in positivity. Beautiful. So that's your secret to not complaining. That makes sense. Yeah, because then if it's all good, then how can you complain? But wait a second. But here's the thing, though. Complaining, though, it it seems to me has like great benefit, too, because the Mm. thing is, is that life is hard and it's often a struggle. And so you need people to help you with the struggle. And so I would say that we probably, you know, like that famous thing, I don't know if it's true or not, how, you know, Eskimos have so many different words for snow. We need like more words for complaining (laughs) because there's the annoying, destructive aspect of complaining, but there's probably aspects of sharing where you need a good friend, Mm. which may manifest itself as complaining, but it's not really the complaining we're talking about. Yeah. I I remember one of your teachers who has since become one of mine because I learned from you so much. So I look up almost everything you say that he said, uh, Rabbi Shlomo Kralbach. One thing I love that he once said is misery doesn't love company, but sometimes you just need a friend. In other words, what's the best thing you can give someone sometimes who's really in a down is another friend who's in a similar down. Hmm. And he said, it's not to have complaint fest. It's just to look at someone in the eye, even on zoom and say, Hey, I'm meeting you here. We we're in a similar pool right now. And I think that's really, you know, the antidote to what's happening on Facebook where you you see all this Facebook depression is what the psychologists are calling it because people will scroll and all they see is all the good stuff, like, or the, what they think is good. Who even knows if it's true half the time? I got married or I'm having an anniversary or, and then here's the single person or someone desperately trying to have a child. I just had my fourth kid. So there's compare, despair, compare, despair, and sometimes all you want is, you know, somebody to say, I'm also having a rough day, but it's not yeah. to make no mistake. It's like you just said, sometimes you just need a good share as opposed to, oh, did you see what that person was wearing or whatever that is? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really true. We need uh, more words because I don't know what the 
good form of complaining is. I know that you've gone through periods where you haven't been writing for money. Sometimes you're writing on spec as you're such an awesome, prolific writer, and you've done so many cool kinds of writing. It's not just like one kind in terms of television. How do you deal with the failures that have come up for you? Because on that note, besides you never complaining, I don't know when you're working or when you're not working, because unlike most of my friends who are in the business, and we sit and sometimes complain together about work, you just don't seem to have a bad day. Failure is like so fluid. Yeah. And I'm sure it is for you too. But how do you deal with it? I think it was a Lubavitcher Rebbe who said like, if you ask someone, you know, who are you? They'll say, I'm a writer or I'm a teacher or I'm a lawyer or I'm a doctor. And they'll, they'll answer who they are defined by their profession. And that's a very, very dangerous thing to do because then what happens if you're not working? Then all of a sudden there's this sort of like existential death or whatever you call it that the, the mind can't absorb or the heart can't absorb because that's who I am and now I'm not that. So who am I or what am I? Yeah. Someone sent me a tweet. I'd like to think it was uh, authentic from Elon Musk who said, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, which I thought was a beautiful, pithy way of, of expressing a very you know profound idea and especially nice coming from him, you know? So the idea being that the essence of a person is your soul and your soul is eternal and your consciousness and your personality is married to your soul. So this version of you, how you think of yourself will continue after your body. It's not just that I do have a soul and I believe in a soul and I believe in an afterlife and I believe that my soul will ascend and it will disappear into the oneness of God. That's not it. That's not it. I mean, there is an aspect to that, but you don't disappear. You remain you even after we leave our bodies. So we really do have this immortality to us. And the currency of our immortality is not our status in this world. It's the good that we do in this world. So I think a lot of the secret to not complaining and a lot of the secret to um, weathering failure is understanding essentially who am I, what am I, and what is this life in this world for? And if I understand that the long-term macro plan is that really this world is just essentially to do good things in and that that will be my eternal legacy is living within the reward of the good that I do in this world – Well, I don't need to have a job to smile at someone, and I don't need to have a job to call someone who's sick or or something like that. I mean, there's so much good that you can do independent of anything, quote unquote, professional. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that when we look back on our life in this world, that is the only thing that's really going to be relevant, you know? Yep. Our choices and how we deal with it. What about other failures in life besides work? I didn't mean to just focus on that, but... Yeah. What else? Like, have you ever experienced a tremendous thing that you thought was a failure and then you look back and you realize it was one of those goods that came later? Yeah, well, I was doing mostly live action. I had done some animation earlier in my career, but I was doing mostly live action. And then I had this real work drought, pretty devastating work drought. And during that time, I was developing this animated show you know, I was paid a very, you know, nominal fee for it. It was for Nickelodeon. They had bought 50 projects and they only greenlit two of them. And this was one of the two that they greenlit. And that was my transition back into 
animation. And the thing is, is that what I didn't realize it, and I, I only realized it recently, years after this, was um, like right now, COVID is pretty much shut down production or live action production, but, but not animation. And there's a bit of a boom going on in animation. And so I look back on this very, very difficult period, but I realized at that time, God was like bringing me into this other field. Mm. And I had no idea of that at the time and that this new field was relative to my last decade of work, say, a much more stable area of the industry, Mm. for me anyway, for my talents. So that's a very recent example of sometimes you go through something and then you don't even realize God is actually doing this because he's, he's bringing you to a better place. But the journey to that better place is often, you know, across the desert. Mm. Yeah. Wow. What about forgiveness? I mean, I honestly can't imagine you holding a grudge against anyone, but I know you're also human because I've been in your class and I've seen you like a few feet away. I know you actually exist as a human. So has there ever been a moment where someone really hurt you or an action or a word that they said just really dug deep? And you don't have to mention names, obviously, but something that happened in your life that really hurt and you had to go, I don't know if I can forgive this. I mean, I can imagine you did it anyway, but what was that like for you? And how did you do it? I mean, I think the premise of life and all reality and everything like that, if we're going to like just strip it all down, is that the only thing that exists is God. And so I try not to lose sight of that. And the thing is, is that anything that we go through is ultimately just a tikkun. It's just for our fixing. Uh, It's just opportunities for us to grow and everything like that. What I would try to make the distinction between is pain and anger. And the thing is, is that they're not synonymous. Um, Sometimes I'll experience pain or a person will experience pain and they will be, while they're experiencing the pain, they feel anger toward the person who caused them the pain. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, unfortunately, those two uh, emotions will fuse together. And so they'll just identify the pain with anger and the person who has caused the thing. And I think that that starts to really knot up our lives, knot up our souls. Basically, everything's from God. And people are vehicles for those things. Now, that that doesn't mean that the the person who caused me pain is innocent. They may be quite guilty of doing essentially a, a crime against me, right? But I have to also know that that is not, their association with whatever happened to me is not the ultimate truth of what happened to me. What happened to me was between me and God or between God and me. Mm. And, you know, like there's a story about the Sanzer Rebbe, one of the great Hasidic masters. He lost a child and he was, you know, walking to the burial place and he wasn't broken in the way that you would imagine someone who has just lost a child would be. Maybe he was even in a in a more elevated state. You know what I mean? And so they, wow. they they just didn't understand. Someone didn't understand how he could have just experienced that and just somehow be in this... Joyful. Yeah, right. So he answered that. He said, it's like someone just whacked me across the back so hard. And I turned around and I saw, and I was like, who did it? And I turned around and I saw it was my best friend. It was mm-hmm. God. <laughs> so... So 
So he identified in those two things, he identified the source of all pain as coming from the one who loves him the most. And in your moments when you feel that pain or that suffering for even momentarily, and you just said, like, sometimes that person needs to know that they caused me, you know, so hopefully they won't do it again. How do you approach them? Because I think that's what's missing today in our society. It's like, people are disposable like plates. It's not just the environment that's suffering from plastic and paper and styrofoam plates. It's us because everything is a derivative of itself. So if I go out and I purchase thousands of those red cups, then I'm saying that, that I'm agreeing to putting those into the world. It's going to have an impact on me spiritually. Well, I have 3,500 Facebook friends. So, you know, if one person upsets me, I've got 3,499 more. I have friends that have said to me, oh yeah, that person didn't vote for the candidate that I wanted. I'm no longer friends with them. That's why I started this. I'm just so sick of this cancel culture. Yes. And yes, yes. you know, you're just a red cup. You're, I'm going solo. I don't need you. And it's, mm-hmm. I don't need you and I'm right. And how do you make that bridge when you know someone actually did you wrong or whatever that means? and you feel that you're in the right, how do you approach them? It takes a lot of courage because if you've just been burnt by a fire, the last thing you want to do is put your hand in the fire again. There's so much trauma associated with that person that it's very hard to re-engage with this source of trauma. And so first of all, anyone who's willing to do it has to be very, very brave. And I think that the, the person has to really have proper expectations of what is going to result from this conversation. And the idea that somehow I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to not feel all the hurt that I've felt up until now, and that's going to come out of this conversation, I think would be a fairly tragic expectation that it's just not going to be met. The trauma can't be undone. And then to go into a a conversation like that, feeling like I am now going to cause you the trauma, yelling at you or crying or calling you names or whatever it is, so that you can now experience a parallel trauma to what I've experienced, that's not a, a good strategy also, because how does more pain in the world help the redemption of the world? I mean, I've already suffered enough pain from the two of us. Now I need you to have more pain? And now you can be even more angry at me. So the strategy of trying to exact a pound of flesh from the person under the auspices of of making peace, right? But really what's in my heart is vengeance. That doesn't work either, right? you know? So I think for every person, it's going to be different. I heard Mike Ovid, he's not as much of a household name as he used to be, but but there was a, a period not so long ago where Hollywood equaled Mike Ovitz and Mike Ovitz equaled Hollywood. They would like routinely put out lists of the most powerful people in Hollywood. And he was routinely on every list across the board, number one. It's amazing that his name isn't spoken anymore. It's, that in itself is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is, is that I saw a, a quote of his in an article, and it's been very helpful to me, which is that he said, before you go into a meeting, like a Hollywood meeting, A person has to know before they walk into a meeting, what do they want to get out of the meeting? And that's very, very important. So that's like just good business advice. So I would apply that same lesson to anyone who's trying to confront someone 
on a forgiveness level or, or someone who's hurt them or whatever it is, they have to be super clear what they're hoping to get out of this conversation before they walk into it. Do they want an apology? Do they really want to inflict pain on the other person? In which case they probably shouldn't do that. Well, it'll just prolong the cycle. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then maybe even cause that other person to want to then cause that first person more more pain, you know? So yeah, is it that they want to give that other person insight into what they did so that maybe they won't do it again? But that's really, really tricky also, because that might be just a secret way of me trying to make you feel bad and yell at you. You know what I mean? Under the guise of, oh, I'm being really constructive right now. Right. So, you know, the heart is a very, very complicated place. And especially a heart that's in the middle of trauma. It's very, getting clarity is is very, very difficult in those situations. So I think maybe what I would suggest is to keep all these different things in mind and then to definitely talk to someone who's a close friend before Mm -hmm. you talk to the other person and try to work out with that friend, what am I trying to accomplish with this conversation? Right. Great. And if you can't come to a point of clarity, like Mike Mm -hmm. Ovid says, of what exactly you want to result from this conversation before you go into it, then don't have it. Right. Wow. And then that sort of brings us to the last thing, which is freedom. I mean, I've been so honored and lucky to get to sit and learn big, beautiful wisdom with you for so many years. And I don't take it for granted. I mean, I also used to teach wisdom, if you will, on Sunday mornings for a long time. And I would always be like, oh, yeah, I have this Sunday off. I can go sit with David. (laughs) Um, And whoever's listening, you can listen to his podcast whenever you want. But being in person with you is like really something special to see sort of like the lightning bolts come out of you. And what I find fascinating is that there's never a note. Like I'm such a type A. I like to have my questions slash my answers or whatever I want to share. I like to have things just written down and you're just like, you literally open a book and you look up and then you just start talking totally from the heart. And it always makes so much good sense. But this part about literally the name of your podcast, spiritual tools for an outrageous world. world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, freedom to me is having clarity, like you just said, and using the tools that work as much as you can. And then when they don't work, you find a new tool or you find a new person to talk to who you respect and admire and honor. And then you say, oh, I'm going to put that on my tool belt. And one of the things that always seems to come up in your class is, or even just talking to you is you'll always have a story that always has some sort of protagonist that gets slapped on the back in some way. And is like, oh yeah, well, I can just look at it from this perspective, you know? And I just find it fascinating that, you know, I don't think most Jews know that we have a tradition that has so many stories like that, where the end result is, well, they were starving, the person's dad got killed in this totally grotesque way, but then they found this candle that belonged to this king, and all of a sudden, or whatever, it's like, There's always this like dark, dismal awfulness. And then just when you look for the light, there it is. 
it just happens over and over and over again. And I, I wish I had grown up that way with Judaism. I just knew Judaism as like Hanukkah and Passover. We didn't even go to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah. And my dad would take McDonald's at the end of Yom Kippur because I fasted for most of the day. Like <laughs> I'd get like a happy meal. Yeah. Like that was my Judaism. Bagels and Mel Brooks. Um, yeah. And I'm not discounting it. That's like kind of a cool cultural way to grow up. But yeah. the wealth and the richness, you know, when I, I went to India and Thailand and Japan in my 20s with my bat mitzvah money looking for God, and I used every ounce of the money that I had invested in Disney stock, it doubled. And God gave me just enough money to go to all these countries and really wow. search. And yeah. it was the book, The Alchemist, that brought me back home. Oh, and yeah. I had come to find out The Alchemist, who they say Paul Coelho wrote it, and he did a beautiful job of massaging the text, but it's actually a midrash. It's actually, oh, really? that whole oh, story, yeah, I comes from the Talmud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I only learned it in Yeshiva and Midrash Rachel. But why am I telling you this? Because I feel like those stories are so important to bring into our life, to have a wealth yes. of, of stories yeah. that are inspirational. So yes. like, do you have a favorite one? And then I just want to talk about some of the tools that you use to feel free. I mean, that's basically yeah. it. So definitely. Yeah, well, there's a book called Holy Brother, and I would really recommend that book to everyone. It's called Holy Brother, and it's written by Yitta Mandelbaum. And so I think that's a great collection of stories. Also, if you want to hear something audio-wise, uh, if you look up Greatest Stories by Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, he's telling like great Hasidic stories from the master's these are all, you know, like revered stories from our tradition. And there are four volumes of them. I noticed that I tried to find uh, the link for it recently. You have to be Googling around a little bit because I don't think the CD is available anymore, but you can get the links. You can download it, but you have to spend a few minutes finding it. But those links are up there and they're amazing. These stories are absolutely amazing. And they're really re redemptive also. Mm -hmm. They're incredibly profound. And they changed my life because I, I didn't grow up with Shabbos or kashrus or learning Torah on a regular basis. And I came to it a little bit later in life. And the thing more than anything else was these Hasidic stories are really, I would say, the primary thing that just changed my life. So mm -hmm. I really recommend them. It's like I had a lot of experiences and I really kind of like was able to experience like some of the more exciting things in life. I went to Harvard and won all sorts of awards and have been on all sorts of hit television shows and things like that. So I've really been privileged in that way. And so Reb Sadek Hakon, one of the great Hasidic masters of about 100 years ago, said that people say the world is getting further and further away from God. And he says, I say, the world is getting further and further away from God on the outside and is coming closer and closer on the inside. Yeah. That's a very valuable insight because, you know, there are a lot of people who are like living lives and the lives seem very materialistic. And if you look at their actions, it really looks like they've sort of like embraced superficiality and materiality with such a voraciousness. And yet really what's going on, and I know this was my own personal journey as well, what's really going on in the inside is that they're checking out this and they're going, the truth's not there. And they're checking mm. out that and they're going, the mm. truth's not there. And they're checking out that and they're saying the truth's not there. And I have a friend who I asked him, why did you kind of come back to Shabbos? Hmm. You know, or why did you start keeping Shabbos? And he said to me, I ran out of excuses. <laughs> 
it's that idea that a lot of times it's sort of like, that's why we can't judge other people because mm. everyone's on their own journey. And a lot of times, even though it seems like they're just rejecting more and more, really on the inside, they're moving closer and closer because yeah. they're just getting rid of all the lies. Like I heard from Rabbi Aaron in the name of Rav Cook, the first chief rabbi of Israel. He said that there's a holiness to atheism because why? And atheism rejects God. You can say, what's holy about that? Rejecting God. Because they've also simultaneously rejected all falsehood. So if they've rejected all the lies of this world, they're just one step away from accepting the truth of this world. This is all kind of the same idea. Wow. I was driving with my sister down Beverly Drive yeah. a few weeks ago. And this was like right after the riots had happened and the looting. So all these huge yeah. stores the windows are bashed in. And of course they put up nice wood right outside, yeah. but the whole block was just, this is the set of pretty women. And now it's just completely disheveled. I saw it myself. I saw it with my own eyes. Yeah. Right. I just started tearing up and I thought to myself, that's so funny that I'm like crying over these stores. And I turned to her and I said, wow, you know, on TV, it looks awful, but in person, it's just chilling why am I crying? I'm not a materialistic person. Like, why, why do I care that much? And I realized I was sort of weeping for our generation that we put so much on materialism and these stores. This is where people used to go. I got to go on my shopping therapy, you know? And Kathy right. so brilliantly turns to me and says, we don't need plastic anymore. We need experiences. Yeah. And I went, whoa, that's powerful. And I really yeah. got it. Like, you just said your friend ran out of excuses for not keeping Shabbat. Now that the whole world is on a semi-permanent Shabbat, we got our legs sort of cut off for a second and there's just places we cannot stroll to. And I wonder once it's over, because please God, it'll end soon. Amen. Thank you. And we'll be healthier than we have been before. And we'll go to a new normal as opposed to going backwards Yes. I wonder if people will choose to have Shabbat one or maybe even two days a week. I hope we still keep Shabbat holy because that would be cool to like, you know, on our calendars, mark a day where we have like our three meals together and go to synagogue in a special way and do all these special things we can only do for the 25 hour period. But I'm saying like, I wonder if people will work a little bit less out of the home and spend less time out of the home because now that we've been forced to be with families and go inward, Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe we'll miss it a little. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's going to be all sorts of positive, wonderful things that are going to happen. I always think of like um, the bell curve, you know, the bell curve. Yeah. So it's like 10% on this side, 10% on that side, and then 80% in the middle. Some people will take all the lessons and change in a very meaningful way. Other people won't, at least visibly in the, in the present tense change and growth is very difficult and it's very exacting and it's not automatic. So yeah, so it will manifest itself in different ways. But I think that there's every reason to hope that the world will be different, whether it looks like, wow, everyone's changed. I'm like always trying to keep my expectations intact. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I would say that's another secret to all of this that we're talking about right now is just expectations. Because I've noticed this so many times where someone goes to a movie, loves the movie, and then another person goes to the movie, doesn't like the movie. And then why didn't they like the movie? 
If you ask them about it, they'll go, no, 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 I did like the movie. It's just I heard it was such a great movie. I was expecting mm. something so great that I <laughs> didn't live up to my expectations. Yeah. But had they seen it the first day, really enjoyed it. And, you know, people go out to restaurants and it's sort of like, yeah, I, was, I heard it was so great and everything like that. But if they hadn't heard that, they would have thoroughly enjoyed it. Having low expectations is really one of the secrets to happiness because <laughs> So many times people only don't like something because not because they don't like it. They do like it, but they've, <laughs> they've created this trap for themselves. Mm, beautiful. What's another thing? I mean, I know that you've talked a little bit about, because every time I see this, I think of you, a construction site. You know, you'll say, I love to watch things being built. Yes. Um, we recently had the grass done here and I've been watching slowly, slowly, these little blades of grass come up and it's just fascinating. And I think of you every day when I look at it, like a Kabbalistic meditation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you can see in front of your eyes growth, also see that growth isn't easy. Mm. And then you also see that if you continue to work on something, even if it takes a long time, but you don't give up and you stay at it, you finish the job. And it's, it's awesome to watch a building go up. And then another thing that I was thinking about with these sites is so often, like they'll rip a place down and then they'll dig this hole and then it will take forever for anything to go up. But then once it starts going up, it goes up really quickly, um, at least the outside of it. And you're like astonished. It's like another floor and another floor and another floor and another floor. And why is that? Because they're spending so much time getting the foundation right. Yeah, that's what I was talking about at the beginning of our conversation together was understanding the goodness of God. This is a foundational principle Mm. that will hold your entire life, your entire consciousness, everything. You see, we have to get the foundational thoughts right. We have to develop the proper way of understanding what this world is, what it's for, what I'm doing here. When we begin to understand these things and you say, well, there's no answers to these things. These things Mm -hmm. are too abstract and esoteric, but the Torah has very concrete answers to these things. Yeah. And so looking at construction sites for me is there's so many lessons in, in what we can learn from them. Yeah. And just to finish, is there anything that you wish the whole world knew? Well, I would say that, uh, that God is one and that we're all his children. Yeah, that's pretty profound. I've been having a really hard time with things that I read and see. I actually stopped watching them because it was making me very upset. But I sort of like really enjoy listening to all kinds of cultures, not just the culture from which I come and and our little bubble here in this amazing community that we live in. And I think not being able to go to synagogue and not being able to be at my local haunts, which are like certain social events that are Jewish and all kinds of different Jews getting together. And like, I pride myself on trying to like be with all kinds of Jewish people and like educating within. And then I also have other groups that I also enjoy hanging out with that are different, let's say, groups of people that aren't Jewish. You know, like I have a lot of people that consider themselves African-American or mixed or um, Hispanic friends. And so like sometimes I'll hang out with them. And I don't know where I gravitate to secondly. And so sometimes I hear from people things like, well, you guys don't understand us. 
And it's so loud. That voice is so loud right now. And that's really the impetus for why I started this because I really believe that we are all one. We are all really connected. And thank God I've had incredibly wise people in my life like yourself who reinforce that for me every day. And, um, you know, this anger is really present right now. Um, I'm feeling it. I just feel it empathetically, like walking around and the way that people vote or who, you know, who someone writes on their Facebook page about or Instagram that that becomes like their whole identity is like got locked in there. And so I just wonder if you could take a moment to speak to that. Anything else that that invokes? Yeah, I I would say this from a positive standpoint. And I I think that maybe this comes from Rebbe Nachman of Breslov. I'm not sure. He talks about that. Imagine that you um, have a pot, right? And the pot is filled with very clear water. But imagine that on the bottom of the pot, there's um, sediment. So the sediment is all resting on the bottom of the pot. And there's just, if you look into the pot, it looks like there's clear water. But that's kind of not the reality. The, the, the reality is, is that there's clear water on the top, but there's a lot of mud or sediment on the bottom, right? Now, he says, if you boil the pot, what's going to happen is all that sediment from below is going to boil up in the water. And now all of a sudden, the water, which looked before you started all this crystal clear, is now all going to look muddy and dark, right? Hmm. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that I think what's positive about the conflict, even though it's manifesting itself as, as a hate coming out, is that I believe that it was there all along, but mm. it just was just sitting on the bottom. And because of the nature of the times right now, it's now being able to become addressed. But in addressing it, you can bemoan the loss of your clear pool of water But your clear Mm -hmm. pool of water was a bit of a lie because there was all this mud on the bottom. So now we're seeing the reality of it. All the haters are hating, but now that they're hating more openly, a dialogue can now take place that couldn't take place before. Beautiful. Yeah, and I think that that actually is a homage to our freedom, the freedom we have with technology, the freedom we have in being able to hear each other literally and figuratively in a new way that we couldn't even 50 years ago, the schools that we were at, the segregation that was happening, all that deep seated mud is coming up from all over the place. I also agree with that. And I even thought that before, but I just, you said it so beautifully and way better than I could have said it. Anyway, we're wrapping up because I know you have amazing, beautiful things to write and wonderful family members to hang out with. And um, I'm jealous. I wish I could hang out with all of them too. Yeah. Is everyone home? My son is in New York, but other than that, we're under one roof. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm so honored that you wanted to take this little journey with me through the grass, both of our grasses. Yeah, it's beautiful. You're in a beautiful place. I'm enjoying <laughs> looking at it. Oh, I'm so glad. I hope people will come to this and we'll just feel soothing feelings because we need that I think more than anything, always. Yeah. David Kopp, our, one of our mutual f- holy friends, yeah, recently okay. said to me, life is terrifying. And he's like the least terrified person I've ever met. He'll do anything, you know. But he's, he said that he's like, gosh, life really is terrifying when you think about it from so many perspectives. And so I think this will bring some soothing to people. Thank you for having the courage to be who you are. I think you have a book coming out at some point. At some point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So with God's help, yeah. 
All right. Well, God bless you. Stay healthy, stay peaceful, and thank you. Yeah, and thank you for allowing me to talk with you on this. My pleasure. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. And here are some bits of wisdom or the takeaways from today's episode. The secret to not complaining is distilling and prioritizing wisdom. David's umbrella principle is more than belief or faith is knowing that everything that comes from God has to be good. We may not see it in the moment, but if we're looking for it, we will find the goodness in it. There are different types of good. There is good and very good or good right now, or it will turn out to be good at some point in the distant future. Repairing something from the past or preparing for something good to happen in the future are the only ways to look at anything that happens to us. Thus, you're only dealing with positivity. If it's in fact all good or very good, then what really is there to complain about? We do need people to share our complaints because life is a struggle sometimes and we need good friends. Misery does love company, but not to complain or bring others down, rather to unite in sharing sorrows and taking space, giving space to someone else so that we don't feel alone. David shared a quote by Elon Musk, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. In response to how to deal with failure, David quoted the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who talked about how we are not our profession, and if we only describe ourselves as what we do, then we can't possibly be a human becoming, but rather our profession, which leaves us very limited, especially in a climate where we may not have a job all the time. The only thing that exists is God. Anything we go through is a tikkun, which is a Hebrew word that means fixing, and it's for our own good to grow and to heal. On forgiveness, David said, there's a difference between pain and anger. We must see that difference. While we're experiencing pain, we sometimes feel anger towards a person who may have in fact caused it, but don't let those two emotions fuse together. Everything is from God, and people are sent from God as teachers. It's all by design. The source of all pain comes from the, quote, one who loves us the most. When asked, how do you bridge the gap between yourself and others when there is a distance? David responded with, The person has to have proper expectations of what the results of the conversation may bring. Trauma can't be undone, and we shouldn't try to inflict parallel trauma on someone else. Even if we think or believe that that person caused us trauma, it is not for us to decide. We must try our hardest to let it go. He also quoted Mike Ovitz by saying, know what you want to get out of the meeting. In other words, when you do get the courage or are ready to meet with someone who you may have had differences with in the past, know what you would like to actually get out of your meeting with them and make sure that your expectations are very doable and easy to accomplish. He said, the heart is very complicated, especially one that has undergone trauma. And maybe before you meet with somebody who has caused you any sort of pain in any shape or form, ask a close friend and review what you'd like to speak with that person about. And say to yourself, what am I wanting to result from this conversation? And if you haven't had clarity yet on what that answer really is, then don't have the conversation just yet. Freedom is having tools that work and using them whenever you want to. He suggested a couple of books for inspiration, one called Holy Brother, written by Yitza Mandelbaum, and another, which is on audio, which may be a little challenging to find, called Greatest Stories by Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach. There's four volumes of it, and it's available on MP3. He quoted Rav Tzadik Kohen saying, 
People say the world is coming further and further away from God, but I say only on the outside, not on the inside. He also said having low expectations is one of the secrets to finding true happiness. Growth isn't always easy, but if you continue to work at something and stay at it, it has to grow. And similarly to how we see a construction site going up, once the foundation is firmly built, then there's no stopping it from being built up. It does take a lot of time sometimes to get the foundation right. And understanding the goodness of God is our foundation for living a truly purposeful life. One thing he wishes the world knew is that God is one and we're all God's children. Now, I do think it's important to note that this episode was actually recorded while I was living in Los Angeles during the pandemic and lockdown of 2020, just a few weeks after some of the peaceful protests had taken place. Tensions did seem to be still quite high, and we did mention that. David also mentioned one of my favorite authors, as well as his, Rebbe Nachman of Breslev, who was an author, speaker, and lighter of souls in the end of the 18th century. He mentioned one of his stories that says, imagine if you had a pot full of water and there was sediment at the bottom. Until you heated up the pot of water and noticed that the sediment was starting to rise, you might pass by that pot of water multiple times and think it was completely clear and there was nothing quote unquote wrong with it. In other words, sometimes you have to wait for a situation to be heated to understand what the ingredients are and what needs to be fixed or supported. We can only address things once they come up. And perhaps now a dialogue can finally take place that could not have happened before. Thank you for joining us today. We are so grateful to you, listeners. Please like us, share this episode, share quotes from it on your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Please send it to people who need to hear this beautiful wisdom. And if you'd like to be a guest or know somebody who might have a great story about forgiveness or how to deal with failure or someone who may have great tools that we can use in order to live a more free life share, share, share them with us. Thank you so much for listening. Please join our Facebook page and also our community group page on Facebook and get your friends to join too. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your stories and how any of these episodes may have affected you. If you want to share a testimonial on our iTunes podcast page, that would be so great. We know there's a bunch of other stuff you could be doing. I want to thank Katya, my producer, and May we all have a healthy and happy 2021. This episode was produced by Katya Soto. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.